as the U.S. tries to help engineer the ouster of President Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo names Elliot Abrams special envoy to Venezuela. Some of our regular listeners might be asking themselves, you mean the same Elliot Abrams who's a convicted felon for his role in Iran-Contra, selling advanced rep- weaponry to Iran and taking the proceeds to support the overthrow of the government of Nicaragua in Latin America? Yeah, that same Elliot Abrams. Even the Moody Blues didn't realize life could be this strange. It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. President Trump finally got to give his State of the Union address. And boy, one can see why he had to open the government for this. Undoubtedly the most exciting thing on TV since the Super Bowl. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. Thank you for joining us. On today's show, we'll take a look at the State of the Union Address and try to determine its most salient feature. Was it the incompetence of its presentation? Was it all the lying done by the President of the United States? Or was it, in fact, the efforts by the leader of the free world to rip this country apart for political advantage? We'll report. You decide. Let's begin with some highlights. Watching the pageantry of the parade of criminals from his administration walking in, my wife remarked in the very beginning when they showed a picture of Ben Carson, my wife said, whatever happened to Ben Carson? You don't hear about him anymore. And my response was, well, the idiot things that he's done publicly just pale in comparison to the idiot things being done by the president and the rest of the administration. Poor guy has fallen to second tier. Let's start out as we analyze the state of the address with some of the good moments. To show that I can be fair, people have asked, I've talked about it on the show, if Trump does something right, will you be willing to say that? And I have, oh, several times on this show, proving that every time he's done something good, I can can point it out. Let's start out with his good moments. First of all, the very beginning, if you caught the speech or didn't catch the speech, there was that invocation of D-Day of June 6, 1941. We're just as proud as he obviously was at the fact that he managed to memorize that date. Just watching it, the, the guy was obviously thrilled. It was like, look at me. I got the date right. I didn't mess that one up. So presidential. Shortly thereafter, in the, in the beginning to get everybody on his side, called out Buzz Aldrin and spoke in favor of space and exploration, something that could actually unite this country and bring us together in the shared interest in scientific, well, you know, exploration anyway. uh, You can almost forget the fact that apparently this was the president who some time ago brought in his NASA scientists and said, let's go to Mars during my first term, to which he was reminded that there was absolutely no chance to go to Mars as human beings in his first term. To which Trump replied, really showing how he views the world, well, what if I gave a lot of money? Then we can do it. To which the science people apparently just shook their heads. Yes, there was that positive moment. We've actually talked about this before on the show, where we talked about the pardon of Alice Johnson, the woman who had been convicted of drug sales and got a, gotten a ridiculously harsh sentence. 
He did do something right in pardoning her. Full stop. He also talked correctly about criminal justice reform. And that the country, the two parties were able to come together on this issue, which is an important issue. And we did accomplish stuff by getting criminal justice reform and changing sentencing and increasing the likelihood around this country that convicted felons who have served their time in prison could get their voting rights back so that Republicans could figure out some other way to take them away. Then there was Trump with his invocation, we can choose greatness. Unfortunately, that just reminded us that, no, that moment fled us around November 8th or 9th of 2016, when we clearly chose otherwise. But after the usual beginning of rallying around the flag, the lies immediately started. The lies first started with regard to the economy. Just one lie after another. And again, we are reminded, I just want to point this out, how remarkably unusual this is. Every Republican president in my memory has lied repeatedly, but not quite this obviously, not about things that most of the sentient public has already been informed are lies, not about things that the president of the United States has publicly been informed are clearly lies. And he just goes on and on with one lie after another. So many lies coming from the president of the United States in the state of the Union address, but we are so used to that. His averaging more than eight lies and over 6,000, eight lies a day and more than 6,000 lies since his presidency began that we're inured to the idea that the president of the United States is just going to stand in front of Congress and the American people and lie. So inured that, in fact, the reaction is, oh, look, it was a good moment for Trump. He read. Remarkable how we have defined this country down and the president's down. Anyway, started talking about the economy. I love every time the president says more than anyone thought possible. Because in Trump's America, that's code word for something that everybody else knew and only me and my incredible ignorance had no idea. Remember that this is the guy who had been railing about getting rid of Obamacare because he had something better to replace it for years, who, during his effort to get rid of Obamacare, publicly pointed out, gee, healthcare is complicated. Who knew? Again, the point being, everyone but you. Anyway, one of the things that we just didn't think possible was that the growth in jobs and the economy was at levels never before seen in the history of the world. Levels that nobody has seen possible. Unless, of course, one looks at the Obama and Clinton administration where, in fact, we were doing better. All the way back then, if the mind can conjure it. Or perhaps one can understand that this unprecedented rate of job and economic growth is, in fact, currently eclipsed by many countries around the world right now. It was the moment when Donald Trump took credit for getting rid of the estate tax. I have spoken at length on this show about the estate tax and how it is designed to take money away from fabulously wealthy heirs of fabulously wealthy people. Donald Trump saying the estate tax or the death tax, as it is often called, it's only often called the death tax by Republicans and the TV that you watch because you are trying to convince the American public that something so ridiculous 
something so utterly unwarranted and without any kind of intellectual justification could be a good thing. Many people picked up on this bit of flim-flammery in real time. More Americans are working now than ever before. Here's the thing, genius. The country keeps getting bigger than it ever was before. Even when unemployment is at high levels, more Americans tend to be working than ever before. But don't worry, maybe some of your viewers aren't quick enough to pick up on some of that. It's reminiscent of boy George Bush when he spoke to that woman at a town hall meeting who said, in order to try to make ends meet, I am working three jobs. And Bush, showing his absolute cluelessness of what it's like to try to struggle and survive in America, thought that was actually a wonderful thing. Said, gee, how uniquely American of you. How nice. Her point being, of course, I kind of prefer not to be working three jobs. Trump pointed out that he's cut more regulations than any administration already in the first two years of his tenure. Very inspiring words, which are both A, not true, factually not even close to being true, and B, should be followed with, take a sip of that water that you just got from the congressional lounge. Feel good? You don't know what's in it. Take a deep breath of that air, because we're poisoning more Americans now than we have in any administration in recent memory. You know that toy that you bought for your child? <laughs> Turns out it's made of lead paint. That's okay, you can thank us later. We took away the regulations covering lead paint and toys, perhaps. He takes credit for things that if you just sit for a moment and think, wait a minute, is that really a good thing? And of course, ending up with, we are now the number one producer of oil and gas to which the Republican side went berserk. I think they even started a chant. They were so excited about the United States ramping up its production of oil and gas. Fuck the planet. Fuck the planet. Fuck the planet. That's what I heard anyway. Maybe it was maybe it was USA, 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 or some other garbage. Anyway, the biggest lie from Trump the whole night and the lie that has been repeated in much of our media is that this was a speech about unity and bipartisanship. Is the media not capable of ever wrapping its mind around what we are up against in this country? Bipartisanship and unity? Will even Democrats stop falling for this? I've spoken to people who are good Democrats, smart, decent people. Who've been saying things like, well, you know, the Democrats need to compromise too. Right, like the Jews needed to compromise with the Nazis. Like the kidnapper who threatens to kill your entire family. You should be willing to compromise only some of your family. Meaning you don't negotiate with terrorists. You don't negotiate with crazy people. He couldn't even sell this idea of unity and bipartisanship for long enough for the ink to dry. The man doesn't have the ability to speak other than to his base. Let's start with the fact that the speech was awful. He is awful at delivering the speech. It's just for a guy who's supposed to be a natural public speaker who has rallies people around him at his raucous campaign rallies, the guy doesn't have the ability to speak. 
Take a look at his State of the Union or anything this guy has spoken in front of the public and compare it to anything, let's say, Obama or Clinton has said. And tell me that this guy has the ability to speak. Half of his speech, I think, or at least a part of it, was recycled from his failed wall speech of two weeks ago. A speech that was so bad, it did the almost impossible and possibly unprecedented in America. That given a platform to lie to the American public to sell them steak knives, he actually lost support. And yet, much of the same wall garbage in this speech literally sounded like it was lifted word for word from that old one. The guy, it turns out, who were applauding for at least paying lip service to bipartisanship and unity. It took about 30 minutes after the speech for somebody to point out that in front of a whole bunch of network news anchors, he had called the Democratic Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer a nasty son of a bitch right before his bipartisanship speech. Let's remind everybody, in case among our listeners there are new listeners who haven't heard this from me before. The Republican Party has been clear on what it means by bipartisanship. Bipartisanship for a very long time to the GOP has meant do everything I want and we will get along famously. Just do everything I want. But the idea that he actually wants unity, the idea that anybody could look at this speech or listen to this speech and talk about it being about bipartisanship, you wonder where these people are spending their lives. The entire goal of this speech was clearly to continue to split this country apart. And we are reminded about how scary the current Republican Party is, where unlike Solomon in the Bible, they are perfectly happy to cut the baby in half to kill the baby in order to either get what they want or, more importantly, to not let the other side get anything, being the party of resentment the way it is and has been for so long. It is scary the extent to which this is being supported in this country. So-called good Americans who wrap themselves in the American flag, who are perp- perfectly happy to see their elected, so-called, leaders willing to rip this country apart in order not to lose and to watch the media buy into this fa- obviously false narrative. The right, of course, is not buying into this unity and bipartisanship bullshit. Trump supporters understand the dog whistles when they see them. And yes, this is just another dog whistle, just like the racist dog whistles the Republican Party has been engaging in for a very long time. We will tell all the decent people on the left and in the media and in the center and people with some sanity and belief and truth and the American way, We will mouth the right words, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, people, my faithful supporters, we don't mean any of this. We're just lulling them into a false sense of security before the war begins. Let's talk about the ways that Trump sought to rip this country apart and divide us in this unity speech. Let's start with his invocations of socialism. His once again turning socialism into a nasty word. Because unfortunately, in lots of this country, as far as Trump is concerned, fortunately for the rest of us, socialism is not the dirty word it once was. 
So he's got to remind his base how awful these socialists are. They don't just disagree with you. Socialists aren't just people who have the ridiculous thought that we should be better funding public education and that every American has the right to health care. No, no, no. He's likening socialism to Venezuela, to communism, to repression of freedom. You know, all the stuff that he basically stands for. This to anger his base, to not disagree with socialists, but to hate them to despise their very un-Americanness. Perhaps the single most pathetic part of the speech, of course, was his call for bipartisanship by ending investigations. That's right. The only way the police and the mafia can come together is if the police stop investigating crimes by the mafia. So says the criminal president of the United States, the only way we can come together as a country is if we understand again that crime is not something committed by wealthy white presidents, but, you know, poor black people. Ending investigations and putting the president of the United States, this within a few minutes of his calls against socialism or leaders who are not accountable to their people, despots, Because his base isn't going to recognize this irony, this ridiculous inconsistency. Let's also just address the fact, again, when he refers to partisan investigations. As always, pretty much all the people involved in these investigations of presidential crimes are Republicans. From Robert Mueller to James Comey, to most of the FBI that Donald Trump continues to denigrate, but whose right-wing members got him elected president. He talked about his qualified court nominees held up in the Senate and how we need more bipartisanship. But of course, the Senate is Republican-controlled. They've eliminated the filibuster. So if his court nominees are being held up, It is because they are so insane, they are so spectacularly unqualified, that there are even a few Republicans who are saying, I don't know, man, we like need to slow this down. These people are completely unqualified to be serving on the federal bench. But that's okay, despite the fact that you have filled the federal bench with more ideological crazies than anybody. In fact, you have filled the federal bench with more judges than anybody in history in your short time. You talk about how the other side is cheating and not letting the duly elected president who won by negative three million votes stack the courts with your partisans. And that recycled speech from two weeks before, the drugs and the caravans, bipartisanship, unity, We are reminded how hate crimes have gone up dramatically in the Trump administration. Could it have to do with the fact that people who don't look like us, don't sound like us, and don't don't agree with us are the enemy, are criminals, are coming to get us, are coming to kill us? Yes, kids trying to flee a life of danger and poverty, he argues, are the enemy. They are responsible for the drug epidemic in this country. Not billionaire Republican donors, the Sacklers, 
who through Purdue Pharmaceuticals were actually way more responsible for people getting hooked on heroin in this country than anyone cutting across the border from the South ever was. But no, 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 we're not going to talk about them because they're on our side. They're on our team. They're the base. They're billionaire murderers. We are reminded, of course, that it was more important for him to pick on people fleeing death in the South than to really choose to fight something we could all agree on, like childhood cancer. One of the inspiring, uplifting moments of his speech, we are told, was his call to battle childhood cancer. Did anybody note the numbers? $500 million over 10 years. $500 $500 million over 10 years compared to $5.1 billion right now just a down payment on his border wall. $500 million over 10 years. You could be forgiven, listener out there, if this reminded you of Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers movies who woke up many years in the future and didn't realize the value of money had changed somewhat said, I'm ransoming this country or this world for, I don't remember what the number was, $1 million. To which everyone started laughing. A million dollars, fine, we'll just write you a check. Well, this is apparently the way Donald Trump feels we need to fight childhood cancer. Over 10 years, less than one-tenth of what the immediate down payment is going to be on a border wall that nobody needs. Dividing America... You can't have done worse on that than in his discussions of abortion. Truly turning people who disagree with his views on whether a woman should have to carry a fetus to full term, particularly one who will not be viable after birth, particularly when the woman's life or health may be seriously at stake. We don't turn this into a discussion of the merits of different arguments. We turn people into murderers. Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, has his own problems to deal with. But what he said about the proposed Virginia law on abortion is not about executing babies, as Donald Trump and his supporters might have it. Keep this in mind the next time an abortion doctor is murdered by someone on the right. Let's talk about Trump's appeals to bipartisanship then. When all the governor of Virginia had said is that the law, in case anyone's unclear on this, will allow a woman who gives birth to a a baby who is not at that point, who is not viable and will not live. What he said is, we will make it comfortable and we will talk to the woman about it and let her decide. We are talking about a brain dead newborn baby. This was turned into exterminating babies. It's not just that they're wrong. It's not just that they are liars. It is that they only succeed if they divide this country and alienate and turn their opponents into murderers. Yesterday, Matt Whitaker, the acting attorney general, went and spoke to Congress. And Trump's idea of unity and bipartisanship, or The idea that the only way we stay in power is by ripping this country apart was further illustrated by Matt Whitaker, who had no problem standing in front of Congress and one 
we'll be reading over the next bunch of days, making one misleading statement after another, and undoubtedly, in some cases, absolute lies. Maybe you want to believe that he never, ever had any conversations with Trump or anyone in his orbit about the Mueller probe, but I don't believe it. And what's really scary is that anybody in this administration who goes and testifies under oath in front of Congress or not under oath in front of Congress, the idea that they could just flat out lie through their teeth is not at all something that should be rejected. Because one after another, that's just what they've done as they seek to divide this country. Before we leave today... Also in the news, of course, and on this theme, has been the National Enquirer and Jeff Bezos, the founder, of course, of Amazon and the current owner of the Washington Post, which Donald Trump has pointed out the National Enquirer is more credible than. This is what it means to be a Republican. And this is why the media cannot call this out the way it needs to be called out. The number one reason is because the media does not know how to deal with crazy people and a crazy political party or a party that has absolutely no interest in honesty, integrity, or decency, i.e. the current Republican Party. And that is, as I have said at length on this show many times, that is what they have going for them more than anything else. The fact that the media plays both sides-ism, as do most of us, I suppose, People who don't know a lot always saying, well, the answer has to be in the middle and both sides must do it, just gives cover to the party that goes absolutely insane. Recently, I had a conversation with a couple of conservative friends, we'll call them, who pointed out again, of course, the idea of liberal college professors and how liberal college professors require their students to express liberal views or they will not treat them well. How conservative views on college campuses are not to be accepted and how people who espouse conservative views are treated as pariahs. Let's again get to the bottom of that bullshit. Liberal college professors believe that people should be allowed to have different opinions and in fact liberal college professors such as myself don't believe that we even have a monopoly on whatever may be right. In fact, most of the time, I don't even, I, I understand that I don't even know what's right. But I do know what's wrong. And what liberal college professors will demand is not that students not be conservative, but that, not, but that they not trade in bullshit. So if you want to say to me that tax rates on the wealthy should be lower than they are, that's fine. That's your opinion. And we can have a reasonable disagreement about that. But if you want to say to me, for instance, that climate change isn't real? Because who believes in science? Then frankly, this should not be acceptable on a college campus. Because college campuses are about education. They are about facts. They are about reason. They are about thoughtfulness. They are not about making shit up and pulling it out of your ass. So the fact that people come to college campuses or anywhere else in this country completely misinformed and lied to by Fox News and everywhere else, spouting things that are absolute bullshit, just allows them to continue to attack anyone on the other side because anyone who points out that their arguments are based on false facts is obviously a liberal college professor who doesn't tolerate dissent. 
This is what the right has managed in this country. You either are insane or you are against us and you are intolerant. But of course, what's really going on is not just that, but the fact that, as the media points out, nobody can really take on the wealthy in this country. Too much money in media, too much wealth, too much wealth from business advertisers, and the media just cannot take on where the real divide should be in this country. Not between black and white, not between man and woman, not between liberal and conservative, but between the fabulously, disgustingly wealthy and human beings. David Leonhardt, I'll give him another shout out in the New York Times, had a good column this week on how we have managed to turn people who argue that the wealthy should pay tax rates anywhere approaching what they did for decades in the post-war period when this country was growing and had a middle class. That anybody who, or anybody who supports tax rates on the wealthy is radical. Whereas anybody who supports the wealthy basically not paying their share, well, that's normal. That's the middle ground. That's reasonable. And that's what allows lying sons of bitches like the President of the United States to stand up and talk about how great it was that he repealed the death tax. At the very same time that the Republican-dominated Senate passed a bill to permanently repeal the estate tax. This, a tax on the wealthiest 0.2% of Americans' estates, This after they had already raised the exemption for a couple to $22 million, meaning at anything less than $22 million, you pay zero estate tax. This after a $1.5 trillion tax cut that already mainly goes to the wealthy to convince Americans that permanently repealing the estate tax, I guess, is reasonable and expanding the estate tax. Well, that's just radical as would be supporting a bill for back pay for federal contractors who got stiffed during Trump's hissy fit of a government shutdown. And quickly before we go, longtime Congressional Representative John Dingell died this past week. John Dingell was not a household name, despite being the longest-serving member of the United States Congress, but he does provide us with this classic example of how the right uses our political naivete to mislead us for political advantage. John Dingell had his name on the Dingle Norwood campaign finance reform bill. That was the companion to the McCain-Feingold campaign reform bill in the early 2000s that was opposed by then-presidential candidate boy George Bush. And that led to one of the most astounding moments in American political theater that I've ever seen, at least, well, even during the Trump administration, where during the third presidential debate between Boy George and Al Gore, the latter being a man qualified to be president of the United States, George Bush said that he supported campaign finance reform, and he pointed out a bill in Congress that he supported. This is a typical tactic of the right. When there is real reform in Congress, you can't just vote against it if people care about that reform. So what you do is you come up with a fake bill. You come up with a bullshit bill written by industry that has a highfalutin name like campaign finance reform or getting money out of politics or Americans for tax fairness. And you give it this highfalutin name and you say, I'm going to support that bill. But of course, in the fine print, the bill doesn't do anything that it's supposed to do. 
Well, this is what was happening during the 2000 presidential election where there was a big push for real campaign finance reform, including among Republicans. George Bush said, I support campaign finance reform. I support this bill in front of Congress. Al Gore, having the problem in America of actually knowing something, said to him, Mr. Bush, do you support Dingle Norwood? Which was the real campaign finance reform bill. Do you support Dingle Norwood? To which the future president of the United States, the man who just weeks later would be getting close enough in the popular vote to steal an election, would say, uh, Mr. Lara, uh, he's asking me a question, Mr. Lara. He, he's not allowed to ask me a question, Mr. Lara. He can't ask me a question. And so goes the leader of the free world. And so goes Forward Nation Radio. We're out of here. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Good luck until then. Please do listen. Please do share us on all our platforms. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 